We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We're going to be reading from Psalm 82. So if you want to turn there. Right now we're going to just start with the first four verses. This is a psalm attributed to someone named Asaph, who is known as being of the Levitical priestly family of the Israelites, uh, and also someone who is known for prophecy, speaking prophetically to the people. And it says this, God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. Father, we ask that as we hear your word today throughout our gathering and our singing this morning, Lord, that you would be speaking, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to not only hear but receive and be transformed by your word and by your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you guys know that uh, several months ago I got my arm caught in our coffee roaster at work. And it's not an exaggeration to say this because it has happened to other people that it nearly pulled my arm out of its socket. And fortunately, that didn't happen. I have full range of motion with this arm. It's healing up nicely. But I still have this weird scar on my forearm. Uh, it's not super big, but it's an indentation still in my forearm in the skin. And every time I see it, it's a reminder of what happened. Also, every time I get close to my coffee roaster, my arm starts hurting. I start feeling that same pain again. That's not as fun of a reminder, but it's a reminder nonetheless. It reminds me of two things, though. It's a reminder to be careful when I'm roasting coffee and to not stick my hand inside of the spinning machine, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a reminder of caution, of warning. But... It's also a reminder of God's grace that I still have this arm. It's a reminder of rescue, of saving. A reminder that I am not where I could be. Thank God. It reminds me of both of those things. And I think when we get to passages like Psalm 82 that are they're words of lament, they're words of crying out, of recognizing the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's a hard thing for us at first, but it's an invitation into these two reminders. Right? It's an invitation of warning to remember the world is not the way it's supposed to be and to move through it accordingly with caution, with intentionality, with reliance and utter dependence on the Spirit of God to work through us. It's also a reminder, though, of praise, of rescue, that God is still at work in this world, 
And he has shown up before in the laments, the lamentations we hear of the biblical authors. He's shown up before in the laments and the crying out of many of our own lives. And he will ultimately show up again. And so we're going to move through a process of lamenting of what we believe is biblical crying out to God. But it should lead us ultimately to a response of rejoicing. And hopefully we'll see that when we get to the end of our time here this morning, that our lamenting over the world not being the way it should be leads us to rejoicing for the one who is coming to make it all right again. And so here's the process we're going to move through. We begin with lament, which is saying, it's a crying out to God saying, what is wrong with this world? God, things should not be this way. Where are you even? It's a recognition the world is not the way it should be. But then, as we see, we'll, we'll move to this in a moment, that it, that should lead us to a moment of confession as well. Because not only is the world not right, but we in our own hearts and our own minds are not right. That confession is a moment of saying, I am a part of the brokenness of the world. Which then should lead us to a moment of repentance, which says, by God's grace, because we have a good God who has not given up on us but pursued us, by his grace, I no longer will be part of the brokenness. I will turn away from that and live differently. That leads us then to, after lament, confess, repent, to a moment of response. And the response is to say, not only will I turn away from that brokenness, but actually I can engage in bringing restoration to the brokenness because of the Spirit of God at work within us. I will respond to the brokenness I see in the world that I've been lamenting and crying out over. Not just to cry out, but to actually engage with the world and bring some glimpse of hope and restoration because the Spirit of God who will do that ultimately one day, is at work within me. We have these little magnets uh, that we created back in 2020 when there was a lot to lament over, and there still is today, uh, that have that process laid out for you. But I'm going to add a fifth one to that today. After lament, confess, repent, and respond, that fifth one is going to be rejoice. Because we recognize that the work doesn't stop with us bringing a small little glimpse, a little sliver of restoration. But we rejoice that we know the fact, we know the truth, that one day Jesus will return and he will make all things right. And there will be no more weeping, no more lamenting, no more crying out. Only joy and rejoicing. That's where we're moving today, but I don't want to skip to that too quickly. I, I do want us to sit in this process of lamenting first. Because we recognize there are things all around the world that aren't right. Really quick before I, I turn us to actually spend some time doing that as a people, I want to look at what's happening in these first four verses. Because actually, though we're not going to do a whole lot of expositing this and trying to break down every single word and what did this say in, in the Hebrew, um, we want to just sit in what is the big idea here. But this has been a very confusing psalm for many people. And it has brought a lot of debate. And I want us to see what's happening. Because it says, God stands in the divine assembly. 
Your translations may say something different in the high council or something to that effect. He pronounces judgment among the gods. Maybe yours says among the rulers or even the people of Israel. I want to say those are terrible translations. <laughs> the rest of your translations, don't throw it away. There's probably some other areas where some translations get it right here and some get it right here. The Hebrew word there is Elohim, which is the word for gods. This is what's happening between God and the other spiritual heavenly beings. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, God actually divides up the nations and he assigns different spiritual rulers over each of the nations. But he holds Israel for himself. What I want us to see here is this. In the same way that God created humans to be his representatives made in his image and partner with him in ruling over the earth, the physical things that we see, in the same way God has created spiritual beings to be his representatives and to partner with him in the spiritual world of ruling. This is what Paul talks about when he says later that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities. Those are ruling words of spiritual beings, spiritual forces that are at work in our world. So as these spiritual beings had control over different nations and had sway over them and would even uh, lead the things that they would worship, these nations were giving themselves into idolatry. Many of them worshiping false gods, which were these spiritual beings, most likely, taking the fixation off of the one true God who created all things, Yahweh. So God, he says, I'll make a nation for myself then. And this nation will be a blessing to those other nations and eventually invite them in so that the world could be made right because these spiritual rulers are not doing right. What are they not doing? They're not providing justice for the needy and the fatherless. They're not upholding the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. They're not rescuing the poor and the needy. They're not saving them from the power of the wicked. Instead, they have become the power of the wicked. So what I want us to see in that is that when we look at how the world is not right, we don't look at a political party that's messing things up for us. We don't look at a belief system that's messing things up for us. I want us to see that there are real spiritual powers at work in the world that we live in. And our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against the powers and principalities. And when we take a moment right now to lament over what's wrong in the world, recognize that we are lamenting over something that we don't even see that's at work and that we ourselves have no power over. And because of that, our lamenting needs to be directed toward the only one who has power over it, the God who stands in the divine assembly and pronounces judgment over those other spiritual beings, the God of all gods, the God above all, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God we worship. If our lamenting is not directed toward him, then it is useless complaining. It's whining. It's rage without direction. But we get to go to the God who stands in the assembly in judgment over all others. And we cry out to him and say, God, do something. So I want us to take a moment and just turn with a few people around you. 
We're going to spend about just a few minutes in prayer. And it's a prayer of lament. We're just going to say, God, we need you to show up. There are some things in this world that aren't right. We need you to be in control and to make right what is wrong. And this is God continuing to speak regarding the divine counsel. He says, They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Just for a moment, I want us to consider that if these spiritual forces behind the nations are wandering in darkness and don't understand, where do we think the nations will go? We've heard that phrase, the blind leading the blind, right? That all of the earth's foundations are shaken. It's a reminder of what happened in Genesis when rebellion against God caused just ripples of destruction throughout all of creation. Not only were the humans, their relationship with God marred, but their relationship with one another was broken as they blamed and pointed the finger at each other. And their relationship with the earth itself, as God said, you will work from it and eat from it through the sweat of your brow, through thorns and thistles. It's a reminder, once again, things are not the way they should be. But I want us to consider that, that if that's true of everything around us and of the leadership around us, it also must be true of us, that we are part of this, of the foundations of the earth being shaken, that we too have sinned in our own hearts, in our own minds, with our own hands. We have sinned as well. We have rebelled against this king. We too could sit in this divine assembly and have judgment pronounced over us. And so instead of responding with pride and arrogance, as many of them had, we have an opportunity. We're invited now to respond with humility and confession. And so would you confess this with me? We say this together as God's people. Most merciful God, confess we sin. Verses 6 and 7. I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like human rulers and fall like any other ruler. This can be a very confusing part of the psalm. It's actually something that Jesus quotes in John chapter 10. And when Jesus says it, Many of our modern, current readers are very confused as well. But here's the thing. His hearers were not confused. They knew exactly what he was claiming, and it filled them with rage. John chapter 10. Jesus is being attacked, basically, by the religious leaders, and they're wanting to stone him to death. Like, literally just throw stones at him until he dies. And so Jesus asks them in verse 31, 
verse 32, he says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these good works are you stoning me? Like, I've healed people, I've fed people, I've cared for people. I've taught people to repent from their sins, to trust in the kingdom of God. Which of these things are you wanting to murder me for? And they respond, we aren't stoning you for a good work. Like, they're not denying he's done good things. That's not what this is about, Jesus. Verse 33, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And then Jesus answered them, verse 34, isn't it written in your law, and he quotes Psalm 82 here, I said you are gods. Verse 6. If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. They're not upset at the works he's doing. They're upset that he's claiming he's one with the Father. And a lot of people have taken when Jesus quotes Psalm 82 and says, hey, doesn't, doesn't it say in your scripture, I said you are gods? Then why are you getting mad that I said I'm a son of God? A lot of people think what he's saying there is like, hey, the Bible says like you all are sons of God, right? You are all children of God. Israel is often called a son of God in the Old Testament. And so why are you, why are you mad at me when I say I'm son of God? But see, what that would be doing is that would be Jesus actually arguing against who he is. That would be him giving into this idea, like, I'm just a regular man like you. So why are you mad when I use the same title for me that Scripture uses for you? I think Jesus is a little more bold than that, right? Plus, they're still mad at him at the end. They still want to kill him. So he's obviously still, in their eyes, blaspheming. Right before he says that and right after he says that, he makes the claim that he and the Father... God, Yahweh, are one. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. And then later he says, verse 38, but if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What Jesus is doing right there is he's reminding them in Psalm 82 about this Judgment God is giving to the other spiritual beings, to the other small g gods, the Elohim. If you want to use the word angels, demons, you could use that. That's fine. Spiritual beings. That's what that word is for. And that God, Yahweh, the God above all gods, the one who created all things seen and unseen, so earthly creatures who are made in his image and spiritual creatures, that God is standing there pronouncing judgment on them because they have not ruled fairly over the nations. And Jesus is now saying, hey, those creatures, they were called gods, small g gods. You don't have a problem with that? The early Jewish leaders wouldn't have had a problem with that. And he's saying, if the word that came to them, which is true and can't be broken, calls them little gods, then the, I'm telling you, he says, the very word that is sent to you now is one with the God who stands in judgment 
over those little gods. Jesus is making a bold claim here that he and the Father, the one who stands in the judgment seat over all things seen and unseen, are one. That he is this God. Do you know why this is good news for us? Like it made them angry they wanted to kill him. Do you know why this is good news? They didn't realize such good news that this was. It's because this whole psalm is saying that God is crying out for justice and righteous rule over the earth, over all the nations, because he cares for it. It's his. He made it. It's his creation. And it ends with a promise that that will happen. I said you are God's. You are all sons of the Most High, but just like humans have rebelled against God, so have these spiritual rulers. So however, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. And then verse 8, rise up, God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. This is the good news. Where humans have rebelled against God and failed to rule alongside him, in partnership, but under his rule, so have these spiritual beings. And the powers and principalities that Paul talks about that are at work in this world that we were lamenting over a moment ago, they will be judged too. They too will be done away with. And God, Yahweh, the true God over all other gods, all of these nations actually fully belong to him. Which is why he said, let me now make my own nation for myself. Israel. And through that one nation, I will bless these other nations. I will invite them back into good rule, into good creation, into a good kingdom. And even when that nation rebelled against him, you got all these other nations rebelling. You got the spiritual beings ruling over those other nations rebelling. And now God's own nation, his own people rebelling. But God alone is faithful. And so God chooses still to be true to his promise of blessing the world and all the nations through this one nation by himself becoming one with them. And Jesus is born as an Israelite. And Jesus takes on all the injustice, all the oppression, and all the suffering that these terrible rulers have brought into the world and that these other nations and all these people, like you and I, have perpetrated. Jesus takes it all on, on our behalf. The Jesus who is standing there in John 10 confronting these leaders who are saying, who do you think you are? And he's telling them right there, I'm the one who stands in the judgment seat and will do away with the unrighteousness. They should have heard good news there. Remember Psalm 82. The complaint is provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. Jesus has come to do just that. He came preaching good news to the oppressed that the kingdom is near. And then he saved them from the power of the wicked, namely the wicked that lives in each of our hearts of sin and rebellion that leads to death. So the one who stands in the judgment seat went to death on our behalf so that he could conquer it and bring us into good, righteous rule forever. And this is why we go to the table. We go to the table every week to remind ourselves that the God above all other gods, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and things came into existence, who formed mankind out of his own hands, breathed his own breath into them, and made them 
in his image. That God went into the grave for you and I. He faced death. He took it fully on. And as he was immersed or baptized into his death, then he rose into his resurrection of new life, and he invites us to come and be immersed in new life resurrection with him, to be baptized into the fullness of his kingdom. So we're going to go to the table. We're going to remember what that cost Jesus in order to secure life and rescue for all the nations. We take the bread. We remember Jesus' physical body, real human flesh and bone body, broken on our behalf. We dip it in the cup. We remember his blood poured out from his side on our behalf. But we remember, too, as we take and eat, that we are rescued from the wicked powers by that very blood. Amen? So if you're with Jesus, I invite you to go to the table now, take the bread, dip it in the cup. If you need gluten-free, the small bowl right there. So if you remember the movement we are going through of lament, it starts with the lament. God, the world is not the way it should be. It's broken. It's crying out over that. Then we move to confess. We confess we are a part of that brokenness. Right? But now we move to the moment of repentance, and that's what we do when we take this bread and this juice. Repentance is saying, by God's grace, I no longer will be part of the brokenness of this world. This was an opportunity that the religious leaders had in John 10, and instead their pride and their arrogance got in the way. But I want to invite us now to partake in this moment of repentance. By God's grace, because Jesus has shown up in our lives, I will no longer be part of the brokenness. That is actually possible in the power of the Spirit within us. You know that? Yes, we are all sinners, and yes, we will still make mistakes. But by God's grace, more and more daily, we will look more and more like the image of God because Jesus is spirit at work in us. It's a process of a big word called sanctification. And it's a promise. So we have this opportunity to repent by turning away from our sin and turning to look toward Jesus. Would you recite this with me? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Take and eat. Verse 8, rise up, God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Our last movement from lament, confess, repent, respond, is to rejoice. To rejoice that all the world belongs to God. It is his, and he cares for it all, and he will one day make it all right. All the nations belong to you, God. All the earth belongs to you. All the things seen and unseen. He is the ruler over the spiritual beings and over us as well. And he will make all things right one day. And the story of the Bible ends with, Amen, Jesus, come soon. That's our prayer. And that's the hope that we have. And we rejoice that he will come and he will make it right. So let's sing together.